why are you so obsessed with me? Do you remember that meme? If you're watching the video version, you can see it right here on the screen. I don't know who that actress is, but she's in uh, Sherlock Holmes. Why are you so obsessed with me? Why is Pope Francis so obsessed with the rigid Latin mass? We traditional Catholics are a tiny minority. It's very small. And he spends just so much of his time writing, talking, restricting these, what he calls restorationists. We're trying to restore something. That's actually true. We are trying to restore something. And he calls us rigid. Remember, what was that? Two, three weeks ago, I had Michael Maddow, we were talking about it. He said, priests shouldn't be wearing grandma's lace, which is a diss to priests and a diss to grandmas everywhere. So uh, I modified the meme here on my right, your left side. Why are you so obsessed with me? Are you ready for it? Drum roll, please. Brrr, ding. Archbishop Lefebvre. Beginning in 1970 on four was like, no. We've got problems in Vatican II. The new mass, the Novus Ordo is problematic. We got to adhere to tradition. We need to keep the Latin Mass. And I was like, I don't know about that. We got to go with the new, the new stuff, the new Coke. Don't you know, Archbishop Lefebvre, the new Coke tastes better. And then the decline happened. And unlike Coca-Cola, who came out with a new product called New Coke that everybody hated, and then Coca-Cola said, okay, let's go back, Coke Classic, we got to keep our brand alive. No, the Catholic Church just kept on barreling down the highway with the new Coke, with the Novus Ordo. And you got balloons, you got clowns, you've got lay Eucharistic ministers, you've got altar girls, you've got the cantor lady who says, um, I was glad when they said unto me, we will go unto the house of the Lord. And then she puts her hands up in the air. Either one hand, some of them do the one hand, some of them do the two hand. And then everyone's supposed to go, I was glad when they said unto me, we will go unto the house of the Lord. Okay, so you got all this stuff going on. Liturgical abuse, Eucharistic abuse, hosts falling on the floor, entire chalices of the precious blood of Jesus, the price of our redemption, falling on shag carpet, all kinds of problems. And there's a small group of people who are traditional Catholics. Francis calls us the Restorationists. I kind of like it. Maybe I should get like a t-shirt or coffee mug made that says Restorationist. Or I should get this right here. Why are you so obsessed with me? And instead of this girl's face, help me out in the live chat. Who is this actress who's like, why are you so obsessed with me? Here, that. Who is that? Let me know in the live chat. Uh, we got Lefebvre on it. Why are you so obsessed with me? So today I'm talking about the Pope's new document, which is, he says in the very first paragraph, is a clarification, an explanation of what he talked about in Traditionis Custodis. Traditionis Custodis reversed, overturned. We have had some overturns, haven't we, this year? Overturned. Actually, that was last year. No, it was, wait. Yeah, it was overturned the work of Pope Ben XVI, making every priest in the Roman Catholic Church, every priest in the Roman Rite, giving them freedom, the choice, to say the traditional Latin Mass without permission from the Pope and without permission from their bishop even. Traditionus Custodis obliterated that. Now you have to have direct permission from Rome to say the Latin Mass. All the other ones were grandfathered in. That's what's what. So today we're going to talk about that. I'm going to go through what I think, in my humble layman's opinion, are the key paragraphs of the new document. And those key paragraphs are, there's five of them. Number one, first paragraph section, section 31, section 49, which is about rigidness, section 54, which is about rigidness, but also... He hints at people online criticizing wacky liturgies. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Pope Francis, are you watching right now? Are you watching the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast? 
Are you talking to us? Are you sending us a message? And then I think perhaps the most informative, interesting, and insightful section for helping us understand what Pope Francis is up to is actually section number 61. So I'm going to go through those five sections today. It's a pretty lengthy document. Uh, this is the top five. This is the greatest hits. And I think it'll help you understand what Francis is up to. Before we do that, we're going to say our prayer. And before we pray, we got to get those likes up, people. There's 723 of you in the live. There's only 123 likes. That's like a one to seven ratio. We got to get that up to at least one to two. I like to see those numbers up. All right. So if you're having a good time, you're looking forward to today's show, go ahead and smash the like button. While you're at it, share this video, this podcast, whatever you listen on, on your social media. Facebook is usually the best place to share it. And if you're new, you know you're going to want to subscribe. So hit the subscribe button, hit the bell, and you'll be notified. And if you're listening on iTunes or Audible or on Spotify, make sure you subscribe there too. All right. Let us say our prayer and we'll get into what the Pope is up to. Oremus. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Patro Noster, qui es in Celi, Sanctificator, Nomen Tuum, et Venet Regnum Tuum, Fia Voluntas Tua, Secut in Cello et in Terra. Panam Nostrum, Quotidianum da Nobis Odie, et Dimite Nobis Debita Nostra. Secut et Nos Dimitimus Debitoribus Nostris, et Nenos in Ducas in Tentationem, Se Libera Nos Amalo. Amen. Sancte Pale, ora pronopis, nomine Patris, Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Well, a happy feast in the old school calendar, old school of St. Paul. Today is the commemoration of St. Paul, yesterday being the feast day of St. Peter and Paul, and they give a little, little boost to Paul today. So may St. Paul pray for us. If you really want to go deep on St. Paul, just a quick commercial here. I recommend this book by an eminent author called The Catholic Perspective on Paul, Paul and the Origins of Catholic Christianity. Many Protestants, especially evangelicals, believe that Paul is quintessentially Protestant, even that he is Lutheran, and that Catholics got it all wrong. In this book, I show that Protestants and evangelicals are definitely wrong. Everything in the Catholic dogma, deposit of faith, is taught by Paul. Even clerical celibacy is promoted and taught by St. Paul. Transubstantiation, Eucharistic sacrifice, baptismal regeneration, uh, even the power to forgive sins, to impose penances. Paul does all this in his epistles. So I walk you through that in this book. Just get it on Amazon. It's on sale today. Okay, let's get into Pope Francis. Paragraph number one. The name of this document is a tongue twister. Let's see if I can say it. Desiderio Desideravi. My brothers and sisters, with this letter, this is paragraph one I'm reading. With this letter, I desire to reach you all after having written already only to the bishops after the publication of the Moda Proprio Traditionis Custodis. And I write to share with you some reflections on the liturgy, a dimension fundamental for the life of the church. The theme is vast and always deserves an attention, consideration, every one of its aspects. Even so, with this letter, I do not intend to treat the question in an exhaustive way. I simply desire to offer some prompts or cues for reflections that can aid in the contemplation of the beauty and truth of Christian celebration, end quote. So he's basically saying, look, I dropped this nuclear bomb on the church called Traditions Custodis. The audience was intended for bishops to go ahead and restrict the traditional Latin mass. Also to restrict ad orientum, where the priest is facing toward the tabernacle, towards the crucifix, and his back is towards the people. These are all things that are getting shut down. All right. So now he's like, and by the way, Traditions Custodis was badly received. Of course, traditional Catholics like myself are like, well, this is no good. Not a fan whatsoever. But even your reverent Novus Ordo, your conservative, your neocon, your George Weigel, your Steubenville crowd, they didn't like it so much either. It looked tyrannical. It looked anti-Benedict XVI. It looked anti-traditional. 
and people looked askance at it and didn't like it. So my suspicion here, again, I can't read into the soul or mind of anyone, but my suspicion here is Francis is saying, and his team are saying, okay, now look, we need to go and do something that's more pastoral because Traditionalist Custodius was basically a moto proprio executive order, crash, punch, restrict, withdraw, all these things happening. That looked pretty tyrannical. Let's come back and look pastoral. And honestly, when you read through this document, it has the pastoral emphasis to it, right? It's again, and you can see this in the opening chapter. He says, look, you know, I'm not trying to be exhaustive here. I'm not trying to be dogmatic. He's just saying, quote, I simply desire to offer some prompts or cues for reflections. So this is a dialogue document. Okay. Now, the next section that we're going to look at is section 31. This is where he gets into the problem of being rigid. And if you know Francis, you know he don't like people being rigid. And by rigid, he means Latin, ad orientum, actually following the rubrics, wearing what he calls granny lace, uh, breeding like rabbits. What, what else am I missing here? Let me know in the in the live chat. Oh, by the way, did anyone ever tell me the name of the actress here? Uh, I missed it. I started riffing and I missed it. <clears throat> I don't see it. Oh, well, it's not important. Okay, here's section 31. Before I read section 31, I got to give you a definition. I got to explain something. He's repeatedly in this document refers to Sacrosanctum Concilium. What is that? Sacrosanctum Concilium is the document at Vatican II that basically said we need to update, reinvigorate the liturgy. The Roman Rite needs to be adapted and modernized for our times for pastoral reasons. That was Sacta Sanctum Concilium, and it has uh, many suggestions and many rules in it. As you know, it says Latin ought to be retained, which never really happened. Uh, it gives pride of place to Gregorian chant. That never really happened. But then you know, there's also some things that are pretty wacky in Sacta Sanctum Concilium. For example, it abolishes the ancient Benedictine uh monastic hour of prime so there's matins lauds prime terse sex so on all the way to vespers and compline sacrosanctum concilium gets rid of prime uh it's very odd very not traditional and kind of an attack on the religious tradition so here is section 31 and you'll notice that he a couple times refers to sacrosanctum concilium and vatican ii Quote, in this letter, I cannot dwell with you on the richness of the passages of this passage's various expressions, which I recommend to your own meditation. If the liturgy is the summit towards which the activity of the church is directed, and at the same time the font from which all her power flows, that's a quote from Sancta Santa Quincilium, well then, we can understand what is at stake in the liturgical question. And I want to pause here and I want to say thank you, Pope Francis. You, in that statement, although I don't agree necessarily with the citation of Sacrosanctum there, you right there say something that all of us traditionalists, restorationists, rigid people, neo-Pelagian, neo-Gnostic, all the names that you throw at your at us in a who are trying to be filial filially devoted to you. But we can agree with it. We can agree with you because this is what is, quote, what is at stake in the liturgical question. Francis is granting there is this question. Now, he is 100% opposed to the retention and the promotion of the traditional Latin Mass. And I'm 100% in favor of the promotion and retention of the traditional Latin Mass. Let's see what Francis says next. It would be trivial to read the tensions, unfortunately, present around the celebration as a simple divergence between different tastes concerning a particular ritual form. Again, I'm going to pause here and say exactly. I go to the traditional Latin Mass not because I have a particular 
preference. And it's not a, what he says, a different taste. Like, oh, you like the Latin mass. That's an aesthetic. That's your taste. You know, just like maybe someone likes plaid and other people like stripes and other people like solids. You know, they have different tastes. Or some people, when you're offered, do you want the salmon or the chicken cordon bleu? Some people are like, you know, I'm more of the cordon bleu guy. And other people are like, I'm the salmon guy. Unless it's a Friday, then everyone's a salmon guy. People have different tastes. Now, is that what the Novus Ordo versus the traditional Latin mass debate is about? Sometimes those who don't like the traditional Latin masses say, well, it's just a, that's just your preference. But here Francis is saying, no, it's not just, the liturgical question is not just about different tastes or preferences. He says the next, the very next sentence, Francis says, the problematic is primarily ecclesiological, end quote. What does that word ecclesiological mean? Well, ecclesia is Latin, actually comes from Greek, meaning the church. Ecclesia. Literally, called out together is what it means. It's an assembly that's been called out. That's what the Greek word for church means. He's saying that the liturgical question and this tension, this debate over differences is not about tastes. It's about ecclesiology. How do we see the church? And I would pause here and I would say, Pope Francis, when they created the Novus Ordo Mass, they brought in Protestant consultors. And so I would agree, if you're changing the Mass, you're changing the words and you're changing the rubrics and you're bringing Protestants in to consult, and you're trying to make it more ecumenical and more open, yes, Francis, it is ecclesiological. Because by inviting Protestants, what you understand by the church, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, it's been changed. It's been twisted. I'm actually, the reason I want to focus on paragraph 31 is I'm actually, when I'm reading this, I'm, I'm surprised that Francis is being this insightful and he's putting it out into the public. So now it's really just a debate over, it's not just preferences, this is really over theology. Over what is the church. Next sentence. Pope Francis says, I do not see how it is possible to say that one recognizes the validity of the council though it amazes me that a Catholic might presume not to do so, and at the same time not accept the liturgical reform born out of Sacrosanctum Concilium, a document that expresses the reality of the liturgy intimately joined to the vision of church so admirably described in Lumen Gentium, end quote. And here is where we get into the debate of the connection between the Novus Ordo and the new rituals for the other six sacraments, and the relationship and the validity of Vatican II. You know, you don't have to be a genius to know that when it comes to debates on tradition and the Latin Mass, it always includes a discussion on Vatican II. Last night was the Feast of St. Peter and Paul. I had four friends over. And we had a great time. It was a feast day, St. Peter and Paul. We ate steak. Uh, the Spaniard bought, brought some Spanish wine. We read the quote from, uh, what is it? Pier Giorgio Frassati. Did I say that right? He says, let me read this to you. Uh, my friend Greg sent this to me. He says, today you have to give me two cigars. One for St. Peter and one for St. Paul. It's a double feast today. So we had a good time. But of course, we talked a lot about Latin Mass. All of these men attend the traditional Latin Mass. And uh, all of us there, either Fraternity of St. Peter or Society of St. Pius X. And of course, our conversations circle and descend and discuss the Second Vatican Council. 
It's true. These things go together. There is an odd version of the person who attends the traditional Latin Mass who is rah, 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 pro-Vatican II. Vatican II was awesome. Thank God for Vatican II. But I don't like the Novus Ordo. I like to go to the traditional Latin Mass. Those people do exist. But that's a pretty small minority in my experience. I would say definitely under 5% of people going to the Latin Mass Sunday by Sunday would actually say something like, I love Vatican II. Thank God it's so on point. I wear the Vatican II t-shirt and trucker cap during the week, but I like Latin Mass. It's rare. He says that he's amazed. He says, I don't see how it's possible. Quote, I don't see how it's possible to say that one recognizes the validity of the council, though it amazes me that a Catholic might presume not to do so, and at the same time not accept the liturgical reform. Well, Fran I mean, Francis, let's think about this. The Novus Ordo in the revision of the breviary and the revision of the other six sacraments, that wasn't done at Vatican II. All right, Vatican II ended in 1965. The Novus Ordo Mass was promulgated in 1969 and went into effect in 1970. You have a four-year gap there. It's true, Paul VI, who ended the council, is the same pope who promulgated the Novus Ordo. So there is all this organic connection. But if you read Sacrosanctum Concilium and you randomly attend 10 Novus Ordo Masses, so you get kind of a, a good varied data set, you're going to realize that that data set does not conform to Sacrosanctum Concilium. And by the way, I'm not even arguing that it should. I'm saying we should go back to the traditional Roman Rite before 1955. That's my personal dad on a webcam position. So there's some slippage between Sacrosanctum Concilium. But there is a connection. The introdu introduction of vernacular and the revision of rites is definitely presumed by Sacrosanctum Concilium at Vatican II. He also says, and here's where it's a little bit, this is where what Lefebvre says and what the Society of St. Pius X says comes into play here. He says that just as Sacrosanctum Concilium has an ecclesiological relationship to the liturgy, that that ecclesiological relationship is based on the description of the church in Lumen Gentium, where the Catholic Church subsists in the church. A major shift in the understanding of the Catholic Church happened in Lumen Gentium and Vatican II. So Francis is, is making a bold statement here. He's saying just as uh, Lumen Gentium broadens what we know as the Catholic Church, and then that broadening, that latitude that's taken by Lumen Gentium, Sacra Sanctum Concilium and the Novus Ordo sort of fulfill that. So they go together. Then he says... For this reason, as I have already expressed in my letter to all the bishops, I have felt it my duty to affirm, quote, the liturgical books promulgated by St. Pius VI and St. John Paul II in conformity with the decrees of Vatican Council II are the unique expression of the Lex Orandi of the Roman Rite. That's a quote from Judicianus Custodis. By the way, this is why Francis canonized Paul VI and why he canonized John Paul II. Francis wants to canonize the council, and he wants to canonize the Novus Ordo, and he wants to canonize Lumen Gentium. He wants to canonize Dignitatis Humanae and Sacrosanctum Concilium. My question as a traditionalist is, he says, the liturgical books promulgated by St. Paul VI and John Paul II in conformity with the decrees of Vatican II are the unique expression of the Roman Rite. Why not the books that were essentially unchanged century after century by all the popes before Vatican II. Why don't they get to play in this game? Why is there a complete reset in 1969-1970? And every pope before that, 
and their liturgical books are swept away? Gone? Restricted? You can actually be punished in the Catholic Church by using them and observing them? How is this possible? I mean, imagine going to our Eastern friends, Eastern Catholics, and saying, hey, you know what? We did a remix on the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. You're going to love it. And from now on, you can never use that one that you've been using for 1,500 years. And like, well, no, 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 no. That's our liturgy. Like, yeah, I know that was your liturgy, but we did a remix on the Divine Liturgy, and you have to use that now. That is now because I, as the Pope, am making a fiat statement. Let it be written, so let it be done. You can't use the liturgy you've always used. Now there's a new, unique expression of the Eastern Rite churches, and it's this liturgy that I'm handing you right now. And if you use the old one, you're going to get suspended and maybe deposed. Have a nice day. Welcome to my new Catholic Church. That's essentially, that is what is happening in the Roman Church, in the Roman Rite. The Roman Rite is as old or older than many of the Eastern Rites. People are going to want to debate me on that. But we find core quotations straight out of what we say in the Latin Mass, already in Pope Damasus, who's in the late 300s. St. Ambrose of Milan, same time period. It's there. It's happening. Then Francis says, the non-acceptance of the liturgical reform as also a superficial understanding of it distracts us from the obligation of finding responses to the questions that I come back to repeating. How can we grow in our capacity to live in full, in full the liturgical action? How do we continue to let ourselves be amazed at what happens in the celebration under our very eyes? We are in need of a serious and dynamic liturgical formation, end quote. Honestly, I want to gag when I read this. And the funny thing is, he says, Francis says, how do we continue to let ourselves be amazed at what happens at the celebration under our very eyes? Oh yeah, we're amazed, Francis. We're amazed by the balloons. We're amazed by the priest who's holding up his guitar and giving everyone benediction with his guitar. We're amazed by the drum set. We're amazed by the Eucharistic ministers and the short skirt and the high heels. Um, I could go on and on. We, we're amazed by the priest doing the little boogie dance in front of the altar. We're amazed when priests change the words of sacred scripture. Like instead of saying son of man, they go gender neutral and say son of human. We're amazed when priests actually change the words of the Eucharistic canon and never get punished. You say a Latin mass and someone finds out about it. Boom, you're called into the bishop's office. I heard about it last night. You make up your own Eucharistic prayer and remix all that kind of stuff. Nobody cares. So yes, Francis, we are amazed at what happens in the Novus Ordo. All right, moving right along. We're going to paragraph 49. For those of you joining us, we're going over the Pope's new document where he explains why he is restricting the traditional Latin Mass and promoting the Novus Ordo. This is the purpose of his document today. All right. Let's get started. Make sure you mash that like button. It's really helping, I noticed. When y'all mash that like button, it works. It's good. So, do it. Like it. Paragraph 49. As in any art, the ars celebrandi, the art of celebration, requires different kinds of knowledge. First of all, it requires an understanding of the dynamism that unfolds through the liturgy. The action of celebration is the place in which, by means of memorial, the Paschal mystery is made present so that the baptized, through their participation, can experience it in their own lives. Without this understanding, the celebration easily falls into a preoccupation with the exterior, more or less refined, 
or into a concern only for rubrics more or less rigid. There's that word, rigid. So Francis here is talking about the art of celebration. Remember I showed the uh, video, was it last week, where they open up the mass in Chicago and they're playing cool in the gang? And it's like, celebrate good times, come on. And the lady leading the, uh, I guess it's a choir, but it's really a band. She's like, shake it in a church. And Priest is getting his groove on, boogie action. Yeah. That, is that the dynamism that unfolds through the liturgy? That cardinal soupage, your best friend forever, Pope Francis, is implementing in his archdiocese. And what is this dynamism that unfolds through the liturgy? Dynamism. Dynamite. The liturgy... The priest says the black and does the red. The black is the text, he says the prayers, and red are the rubrics, hence the, the name rubric. How he holds his hands. Does he bow? Does he genuflect? Does he lift up? Does he make the sign of the cross? What does he do with his fingers? These are all the rubrics. As a layman, I don't want any jazz hands, dynamism, shake it, celebrate. I don't want any of that. I am there. I mean, we love you, Father. We support you, Father. We pray for you. But when I come to Mass, I don't want to go to the Jimmy Kimmel show and replace in the priest's name there. It's not your show. I just, I'm there for Jesus. I want to witness the Holy Sacrifice. If I'm in a state of grace and I've made the Eucharistic fast, I want to receive Holy Communion, hopefully worthily, and receive grace for another week to live in this valley of tears and to become a saint. That's what it's all about for me. So, Father, I don't want dynamism. I just want you to say the black and do the red. The holy sacrifice. It should be somber. And there should be a concern for the rubrics. See, he says that you don't want to fall into a preoccupation with the exterior. But the weird thing is, is when you have balloon masses and clown masses and shake your you-know-what masses, there is a preoccupation with the exterior. C.S. Lewis, who's an Anglican, he's not a Catholic, but he did have this to say about the liturgy, I'm paraphrasing. He says, when a man and a woman have properly learned how to dance a dance like the waltz. If I'm well-practiced in doing the waltz as a man and my wife is well-practiced in doing the waltz as a woman, when we come together and we waltz, we go forward, we go backwards, we twirl, we spin, we're dancing. Or down here in Texas, doing that Texas two-step. If we're two-stepping, I can spin my wife out, bring her back and catch her. With my hand, I can guide her and tell her what's going on and communicate with her. And our feet are doing the Texas two-step. All right? People are thinking, man, where is Taylor Marshall going right now? What is it? I thought he said my Novus Ordo and Latin Mass. Listen to Listen up. If my wife and I are good at the Texas two-step and we've danced a lot together, as long as that Texas two-step is happening down at our feet, the gaze between my eyes and her eyes, the smile, the response, the tenderness of my hand moving her in certain ways, all that intimacy, all that fun, all that romance happens in the Texas two-step, or if you're from Europe, in the waltz. And that relationship, the interior not just the exterior, the interior is expressed from me to her and her to me. If you're dancing with someone, what if I'm dancing with my wife in the Texas two-step and uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to break into that electric slide. And, and no, it's going to wreck the dance. And instead of doing a Texas two-step, I say, you know what? I'm going to do the four-step. I'm going to make up the four-step. I'm going to do my own thing. Now, suddenly, 
I'm stepping on her feet. She's looking down. She's frustrated. She's looking around. Other people are like, what is that person doing? They don't know how to dance. I stepped on her foot again. Now, C.S. Lewis, he didn't say all that part. That was me. But C.S. Lewis says, you know, as long as you keep your feet in the way that they're supposed to go, the waltz, you're following the rubrics, the gaze of the man and the woman, the romance and the fun, the intimacy happens on the dance floor. You start screwing around with the dance or the band starts screwing around with the beat. Suddenly you're now looking at your feet and stepping on each other. That's what happens in the Novus Ordo. We all go there. We all expect this is how mass goes. This is what should happen. We go from point A to B to C to D all the way to Z. Right? Ita Misa S, blessing. Last gospel if you're traditional. The priest comes in and he starts making up his own stuff and blessing people with his guitar and shaking his, getting his groove on, on up on the altar. Suddenly we're all looking at our feet. We're all stepping on each other. And the interior intimacy that we are supposed to have with Jesus Christ has been obliterated and broken. And that's wrong. So Francis is saying that the old way is a preoccupation with the exterior, but I would argue it's the exact opposite. When you have priests clowning around, it's making everyone hyper-focused on the exterior and we're losing the interior connection with Jesus. Do you agree? Smash the like button. Francis then says, then it is necessary to know how the Holy Spirit acts in every celebration. The art of celebrating must be in harmony with the action of the Spirit. Only in this way will it be free from the subjectivisms that are the fruit of individual taste dominating. Pause, which is exactly the opposite. Of we lost the stream at 30 minutes. It's been happening at 30 minutes, but we're back. I see all you back. Good job on the likes. Wow, that's good. All right, back to reading. I don't know where the stream broke off, so I'm just going to go up a little bit. The art of celebrating must be in harmony with the action of the spirit. Only in this way will it be free of the subjectivisms that are the fruit of individual taste dominating. That's exactly what the opposite of what happens in the Novus Ordo. Individual tastes do take over. Then he talks about we can't have the invasion of cultural elements. But I'll tell you what. There's all kinds of invasion, not just of cultural elements, but indigenous religion that's brought into the Novus Ordo. It's not just enculturation, it's syncretic syn syncretism invading into the liturgy. Then he says, finally, it's necessary to understand the dynamics of symbolic language, in particular, nature, its eff efficacy. I have no idea what that sentence means. And if you're interested in symbolic language, Pope Francis, I would highly recommend the restoration of Latin. We're now moving on to the last two paragraphs that we're going to focus on, section 54 and section 61. Here is section 54, in which he gives us uh, different styles of celebrating Mass. There's all different styles. Here we go. If it is true that the art of celebrating is required of the entire assembly that celebrates, it is likewise, and that's interesting right there, it's not the priest who celebrates. The entire assembly is celebrating. Got to get everybody up around that altar. Give everybody a job. He says, It is likewise true that ordained ministers must have a very particular concern for it. In visiting Christian communities, I have noticed that their way of living the liturgical celebration is conditioned, for better or unfortunately for worse, by the way in which their pastor presides in the assembly. We could say that there are different models of presiding. Here is a possible list of approaches which, even though opposed to each other, characterize a way of presiding that is certainly inadequate. And then here he goes. Now, I just want to say, Holy Father, wouldn't it solve the issue entirely if the priest turned around? What if we had it where the priest was talking to God, not to us? He wasn't entertaining us. He was performing the sacred sacrifice to God on our behalf. So if we just turned him around, 
suddenly the community is not conditioned, his word, by the way the pastor presides in assembly. I mean, wouldn't that be a good idea? I'm going to put that into the Pope Francis suggestion box. In order to conform to section 54 here in your new document, Pope Francis, I'm going to say, let's have that priest turn around at Orientum. All right, here are the lists, the list, rather, of the different ways of the art of celebration, which he finds inadequate. Are you ready? Rigid austerity. Well, you knew he was going to say that. That's like number one. Exasperating creativity. A spiritualizing mysticism or a practical functionism. A rushed briskness or an overemphasized slowness. A sloppy carelessness or an excessive finickiness. A superabundant friendliness or priestly impassibility. Granted, the wide range of these examples, I think that the inadequacy of these models of presiding have a common root a heightened personalism of the celebrating style, which at times expresses a poorly concealed mania mania, to be the center of attention. I agree. Amen and amen. Yes, all of this is the priest. If he's an introvert, he's going to be sort of doing the priestly impassibility. If he's an extrovert, he's going to be running the, the uh, Jimmy Kimmel show. If he's lazy, he might be doing the sloppy carelessness. If he's highly functional on the spectrum, he'll be excessive finickiness. And that's the problem, Francis. Priests come in all different personalities and styles. And so Holy Mother of the Church, through the influence of the Holy Ghost, third person of the Trinity, came up with a solution to this manifest problem. And it was called the Roman Rite of the Catholic Church which has been obliterated since Vatican II. And the, what happened in the traditional Catholic Church in the Roman Rite is that the priest was hidden. He was muted. His personality was diminished. So what the church said in her wisdom, guided by the Holy Ghost, the church said, all priests are going to wear the same clothes. Black cassock, white collar. Done. When priests go to say mass, we don't want them to be wearing like a, a business suit or a striped business suit or a double-breasted, single-breast. No, everyone's going to wear the same exact vestments. You mean the priest doesn't get to no, no, everyone wears the same exact set of vestments. Stole, chasuble, right? Cincture, maniple, etc. Well, what about, I want to choose my own colors? Nope, nope, nope. Cat Roman Rite says, we actually have already chosen all the colors for you. And every day of the 365 days, we've already put a little letter on your calendar and you don't get to pick your color. Well, what if I want to speak in a certain dialect? Nope, we're not, can't have that either. We actually already chose everyone's going to do Latin. Oh, okay. Well, can I make up my own prayers? Well, we thought of that too, and we actually wrote down every single collect for every single day of the year and for all other future contingencies for different kinds of saints, like widows, martyrs, virgins, bishops, confessors. We took care of all that. Hmm. Well, can I kind of walk around and do... Nope, we actually came up with rubrics where you're supposed to stand... Even where you're supposed to hold your hands, when you're supposed to bow, everything. Wow, so you're telling me that the Roman Rite up until the 1960s had thought of all of this as a way to mute, disguise, and mitigate the personalities of priests? Yes. And that was even why the priest was turned around. Because he's talking to God, he's not talking to us. So there's a... Francis is granting a major problem in the Novus Ordo but he's failing to see that this problem was created by the very liturgy he's promoting. If we went back to the traditional Latin Mass, everything he complains about in this paragraph would go away. Just like that. He then says, to close off this paragraph, often this becomes more evident when our celebrations are transmitted over the air or online something not always opportune and that needs further reflection. 
Be sure you understand me. These are not the most widespread behaviors, but still, not infrequently, assemblies suffer from thus being abused. End quote. I'm excited about this because it means in Rome, in the Vatican, they know that we lay people are watching these whacked out liturgies. The cool and the gang liturgy. Celebrate good times. The clown masses, the balloon masses. The let's have half naked men run around to the beat of drums every December 12th on Guadalupe. And I love Our Lady Guadalupe. She's enshrined in my living room downstairs. Yes, the Grover t-shirts. I've often told the story. I'll say it again to the to the new audience. Finally, see, I, be, I was an Episcopal priest. I became a Catholic. When I became a Catholic, I knew that the Latin Mass was out there, but I didn't have much experience with it. As an Episcopal priest, we actually had Mass with priest, deacon, subdeacon. Um, we had Dalmatic, we had Tunical, we had altar rails. So when I became a Catholic in the Novus Ordo, which was in 2006, I was like, man, these people believe in transubstantiation, but they act like Protestants. What's up with this? So it took me about four years to discover the traditional Latin Mass and start going to the Latin Mass and then join a Latin Mass parish, which is the fraternity of St. Peter for me. That was in 2010, 12 years ago for me. So I went through the journey, but one of the trigger points, the flashpoint for me to say, forget the Novus Ordo, I'm going to Latin Mass, this is it, I'm done. I was at the University of Dallas, that's where I got my PhD, it's a Catholic university. It has a church in the round, it's not attractive, that's no big secret. No offense to all the alumni and brothers and sisters from University of Dallas, but we can all admit, can't we, that the chapel, not attractive. They should make that into a playhouse or a music hall and build something more beautiful, my humble recommendation. Anyway, I was in there at Novus Ordo. I had walked out before because a Dominican priest was reading the gospel once and he made the entire lesson gender inclusive, including calling Jesus instead of son of man, son of human, and then instead of saying through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, he said through Christ, with Christ, in Christ. So everywhere there was a him in the liturgy, and by him I mean H-I-M or he, H-E, he changed it gender inclusive. That's what the old Dominican priest was doing. I walked out of that mass. It was the first mass I ever walked out of. This is young Taylor Marshall. I mean, I was a dad. Probably had four or five kids, but I wasn't gray or anything. Later on, maybe a year or so later, I was going to Mass, and they had lay Eucharistic ministers. And I always did. I was always a, a line hopper, lane switcher. Lane switcher. I was a lane switcher. And go to the priest. Don't want to go to the lay person. And on the tongue. Even though I wasn't Latin Mass, I was like, I'm not going to use my hands. I'm going to receive on the tongue. Well, something happened where I couldn't get to the priest. I don't know why. So I was forced instead to be at a lay Eucharistic minister. In the chapel at University of Dallas, there's, it used to be, there is no religious art in there. There is a, there, I try, they brought in a crucifix. Yeah, there was a small crucifix, what they called the steamroller crucifix. It was there. But otherwise, there was nothing religious in there. It was whitewashed. As a matter of fact, once I brought my firstborn son there the first time, and he said, Dad, why are we in a Protestant church? <laughs> From the mouth of babes. Anyway, I went up for communion. And the Eucharistic minister that I got pushed over to on that side was wearing a Grover t-shirt. You know, Grover. From Sesame Street. I'm going to try to pull up the Grover shirt. People have memed it because I talk about it. Grover t-shirt. Oh, here it is. This is it, baby. You're going to love it. He was wearing this shirt. Take a moment to pull into the 
to the video. So I go for Holy Communion. There's there's not a statue of Mary. There's not a statue of St. Joseph, St. Michael, anything like that. I go up and the person is wearing this Grover t-shirt and says, the, the body of Christ. And I'm supposed to say, Amen and receive communion. And in that moment, I was like, this church is completely stripped of all religious art. It doesn't even look Catholic. My young son said, when he was there with me before, why are we in a Protestant church? And I'm staring into the eyes of Grover as I'm about to receive the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. I'm about to receive God, the Holy of Holies, the Thrice Holy, the God of Israel, Lord Sabaoth, fully God, fully man, consubstantial with the Father. And I'm staring into the eyes of a Grover, body of Christ. And I'm looking at Grover and I'm like, this is it. I'm done. I'm done. Like the ridiculousness of the whole thing and all the years of frustration and the liturgical abuse, and even just not even get to receive communion from a priest, but receiving communion from a college student who meant well, maybe they're in good faith, I don't know, staring into the eyes of Grover. And that, my friends, is when I became a traditional Catholic. People are saying, poor Elmo. No, it wasn't Elmo, it was Grover. It was this exact t-shirt. This t-shirt is irrevocably and indelibly branded into my soul. Thank God the Catholic Church has cassocks, surpluses, and vestments. There's a reason for that. Otherwise, we would be receiving communion, looking into the eyes of Elmo and Big Bird and whatever else, ACDC or whatever t-shirt somebody wants to wear. So that is the story of how Taylor Marshall became a trad. It's all because of Grover. People said, I like this, this one right here. Uh, S. Draper says, maybe Grover was ordained. No, he wasn't. Guaranteed he wasn't. He wasn't. But thanks for, thanks for helping. This one here, Joshua says, uh, sounds like the Simpson episode when Lisa became a Buddhist. I don't know that. I haven't watched much Simpsons. Um, but yeah, so every time I see Grover now, I think, thank you, Grover. You're the reason why I'm a trad and you're the reason why I don't go to the Novus Ordo anymore. It was my Grover moment. It was my Grover moment. If you like that story, hit the like button. Okay. So we're back into Pope Francis here. I wasn't planning on telling my Grover moment. But I'm glad that I did. I feel better now that I got it off my chest. And now those of that are new in the audience, you now know my backstory. You know, if they ever made a prequel to my life or a backstory, that would definitely have to be uh, in the in the movie, the Grover scene. It'd be powerful, It'd be very powerful. But as I was saying here, Francis is aware that people like myself and others are critical of celebrations being transmitted over the air or online. People say, oh, we don't have clown masses anymore. That was back in the 80s. We have way, way worse stuff right now in 2022. COVID started streaming masses and the whole world found out how totally whack the diocesan liturgies look. Like you, I've pulled them up. You know, they got iPhones, they got their elbows on the altar and they got their iPhone out and they're reading the story that uh, the deacon emailed them and all this kind of stuff. Uh, we, we need um, we need help in the chat. We got nasty people in the chat. I'm going to try to do quick bans real quick. Yes, ban these nasty people. If I recognize a faithful, regular viewer here, I will quickly make you a moderator so you can clean up these nasty bots that come into our chats. Okay, let's go to the last uh, section that I wanted to focus on today, and that is section 61. This to me is the most interesting. 
I was able to riff on some of the other ones, but this one right here, I think if you could only, if someone said to me, Taylor, I, I just want to read one part of the Pope's new document on liturgy. What should I do? I'll be go to section 61. Just read that. You get the whole thing. All right. So y'all want me to read it? Here we go. Team X Grover. That's what we are. Team X Grover. Section 61. In this letter, I wanted simply to share some reflections which most certainly do not exhaust the immense treasure of the celebration of the holy mysteries. I ask all bishops, priests, and deacons, the formators and seminaries, the instructors and theological faculties and schools of theology, and all catechists to help the holy people of God to draw from what is the first wellspring of Christian, Christian spirituality. We are called continually to rediscover the richness of the general principles exposed in the first numbers of Sacrosanctum Concilium. Grasping the intimate bond between this first of the council's constitution and all the others. Now, this is one of the things as, as a Catholic. I'm not a cradle Catholic. I'm a convert. I was a Protestant. I was a Protestant minister. This is the kind of thing that I don't get. Because when I signed up to be a Catholic, I wanted all 20 centuries. I was signing I was signing under every single century all the ecumenical councils all the anathemas right the church fathers everything that's what I came in and then once I was a catholic for a few years and waded into the pool of novus ordo there's this emphasis of vatican II onlyism it's like everything before is null and void because vatican II. Father Wolf of the Fraternity of St. Peter used to say, the difference between a modernist and a traditionalist is this. A modernist views everything in church history, all doctrine, all morality, through the lens of today and our enlightenment in our time right now. The traditionalist interprets today, the events today, in light of all the tradition and doctrine that came before. Do you understand? Father Wolf said, the modernist interprets all of history and tradition in terms of today, the modern moment. The traditionalist is interpreting today, now, in light of everything that came before. Two different set of goggles on looking at reality. And the Vatican II only people are the modernists. They interpret everything through Vatican II. So, like, if you watch Bishop Barron, he'll say, yeah, but Vatican II. Yeah, but Vatican II. Yeah, but Vatican II. You quote something in the history of the church, something that's dogmatic, doctrinal, moral, or out of line with the modern church, yeah, but Vatican II. The traditionalists are saying... Hey, we signed on for everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the Church Fathers to the Popes, all the magisterium. And then now we're into the 1900s, into the 2000s. And there's some stuff going on that's not really fitting with the old stuff. And we want to have a conversation about that. We want to stick with our default position of all the old stuff, traditional liturgy, traditional morality, traditional doctrine, until we can get all this new stuff figured out and clarified. That's really what Archbishop Lefebvre was asking for. I see this again here. He's saying we are continually called, or we are called continually to rediscover the richness, richness of Vatican II, Sacrosanctum Concilium. Why aren't we called to constantly uh, rediscover Nicaea I and Constantinople I and the Council of Ephesus and the Council of Chalcedon, the Council of Constantinople II and Constantinople III and the Council of Nicaea II, Constantinople IV, Council of Trent. Why does this one have special powers? Francis says, for this reason, we cannot go back to that ritual form which the fathers, cum petro et sub petro, felt the need to reform. This is the authoritative statement here on France. For this reason, because we're always going back to Vatican II, we cannot go back 
to the ritual before Vatican II. That's the definitive position. My light fell, I'm fixing it. Do you get it? This is why I think section 61 is really Francis laying it all out for us. Because our spirituality has to constantly rediscover Vatican II, therefore, he says, quote, we cannot go back to that ritual, the old ritual, the Latin Mass, the old sacramental rituals, the old breviary. For him, it's obliterated. Vatican II obliterated the old ritual. And there's no return to it. It's goners. This is the Pope Francis that we know. He says that the church fathers felt the need to reform, approving under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and following their conscience as pastors, the principles from which were born the reform. And here's what really bothers me about that. Why is the liturgy reformed according to the conscience of pastors and not according to tradition? Not according to what has been received by the church. Suddenly, the conscience of pastors in the 20th century gets to veto the organic development of 1900 plus years? How does that make sense? The conscience of pastors... Those are the, it says, the principles from which was born the reform. The conscience, not scripture, not tradition, not magisterium, not previous popes, but the conscience. Because the Vatican II religion is salvation by conscience. You just follow your conscience. Well, I want to abort babies and be on the pill my whole life. Your Vatican II Jesuit says, well, if that's your conscience, that's how you get to heaven. If you say, I want to get divorced and remarried five times, and he's like, well, are you okay in your conscience with that? Yes, you're going to heaven then. The Vatican II religion is salvation by your conscience. And there's no talk of forming conscience. Look what happened yesterday. Nancy Pelosi, after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, got up on TV and talked about how wicked and evil the whole thing was. And we got to go back to aborting babies and giving people the right to abort babies. And then she jet sets over to the Vatican, meets with Pope Francis, take photos, goes to mass, receive communion, and makes a public statement about it. And then Francis has the gall to issue, issue this to us. Did anyone correct her conscience? Did anyone say, hey, you know, killing babies is not cool. Catholics don't do it. No, they smiled and they took the photos. So if Pope Francis is okay with leaving those consciences unchecked, why should we care about the consciences of pastors who want to change and abuse and, and, and mutate the Roman liturgy? Forget that. What if someone says, well, in my conscience, I'm going to wear the Grover shirt when I, when I give communion? According to Pope Francis... They have that right. They should be doing that. And I say, nah to the nah, nah. I'm not going back to Grover. I burn the ships. Never going back to Grover. It's over. And then our last statement that we're going to go over today. The Holy Pontiffs, St. Paul VI and St. John Paul II, approving the reform of liturgical books in uh, Extracreto Sacrosancti Ecumenici Concilii Vaticani two, have guaranteed the fidelity of the reform of the council. So here, this is why he canonized Paul VI and John Paul II. Had nothing to do with Poland or communism or anything like that. It had to do, he needs to canonize the liturgical books. How do you canonize the liturgical books? You say, well, the two popes who approved them, they're both saints. Ergo, we can't get rid of these books. And I say, let's look at it on the merits of truth. I don't care who promulgated the books. John Paul II kissed a book called the Quran. I don't want the Quran read in my mass. People make mistakes. If you can make a mistake and kiss a Quran, you can make a mistake on the liturgy. That's just that. 
For this reason, Francis says, I wrote Traditionis Custodis, so that the church may lift up in the variety of so many languages, one and the same prayer capable of expressing her unity, end quote. So there's the endorsement of vernacular to the detriment of Latin. And I'm going to stop there. You can read the whole thing at vatican.va under uh, Francesco. And there is the German, the English, the Spanish, the French, and the Italian translation. You can read the whole thing. Those were my top five sections in the document, Desidero. And uh, knock yourself out if you want to read more. Oh, yeah, here's the picture of Nancy Pelosi just chilling with Francis. And there she is at Mass. They got those photos. This way, when people say, aren't you Catholic? How are you supporting uh, a return to Roe v. Wade? I thought you were Catholic. I thought you were Catholic. Doesn't the Catholic Church teach you? goes, well, I was just chilling with the Pope. Look at this picture of me hanging out. I just went to Mass with the Pope. Pope got my back. I can kill babies, have tax money, kill babies, and I can still hang with the Pope. Kick it. That's the plan. It's a publicity stunt. All right, I'm going to sign off here. Before I do, I'm going to urge you and beg you to pray the rosary every day. I'm going to put Our Lady over, over uh, Grover. Pray the rosary every day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. Pray the rosary every single day. You'll be blessed. The rosary is Bible on beads. You need it. Your spouse needs it. Your kids need it. Pray the rosary every day. Read the Bible every day. Be a saint. Be kind. Find a traditional Latin Mass. If you're at a traditional Latin Mass this week, text five people and invite them to come to your traditional Latin Mass. Let's grow it. Let's introduce people. It's all about introducing people to Jesus. It's all about learning the dance, whether it's the waltz or the two-step. We can get our feet right, so then we can gaze into the eyes of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of the church, and become saints, and be saved, and go to heaven. That's the goal. Thanks for watching. Mash the like button. Y'all did great today on those likes. That's good. We got 18 Jesuits that gave the thumbs down. But we got uh, a good number of you that hit the like up. That's good. And uh, make sure you're subscribed. Um, oh, one thing I'm going to do, a lot of people all the time say, I am subscribed, I did hit the notification, um, but I don't always get notified. So I'm going to set up an email list, it's totally voluntary, uh, maybe I'll launch it next week, and you can sign up there as well, and I'll send you like a weekly email, and uh, that way if you don't get notified via YouTube, you'll still realize there's new content and see it in your email box, just a workaround uh, that we're going to set up. All right, we're going to pray the Hail Mary now, Ave Maria. Nomini Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu, mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or prenobis peccatoribus, nunc editor mortis nostre. Amen. Nomini Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. <clears throat> Amen. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks to all the Patreons, Patreon patrons who support this channel you can become a generous patron at patreon.com forward slash dr taylor marshall and support the work we're doing here and until next time remember our lord jesus christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth so go out there and be salty god bless and god speak <laughs>